This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Jen. I'm Ginny. I'm Natalie. And we are the Art History Babes. Okay. <laughs> Here we are. We are the Art History Babes. Oh, yes. <laughs> I remember now. Uh, you know, so yeah. Well. It's it's actually, oh, man. It's good. It's good that you repeated that because... Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, today was long. Today was a long day it for was. all of us. We all are back to school. It's, it's fun. You know what? Nah, it's, fu- it's, it's fun. No, it's I'm, fun. Just keep saying it. Just keep repeating you know, it. It's, it's our mantra. Fun. We're having a great time. Ginny and I are butt buddies this quarter. What? <laughs> It's not um, the term. It's an official term for people who TA together. Yeah, I don't yeah, know if that's a term. I don't endorse that. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> We're TAing the same class. It's really fun. Um, we have these uh, really, really fascinating two-hour meetings <laughs> on Thursdays. They go on for a very long time. And, and for two hours? For, well, you know what? But two it hours feels longer. Ten. Yeah, it does. It, it feels does. That's longer. a long time. Two hours. And it's going to be three hours next week. No, it's going to be longer than that, girl. Yeah. She said two to six. No, she, no six you're full of She did. She did. She did. Because um, we're going to be grading anyway. So um, just a little, a little, a little insight into the world of a team. All, all the color just like fled from Jenny's face. I've been having a hard day. Six hours last night. <laughs> I don't know how many of our listeners are undergrads who have TAs. But um, be nice. Be nice to them. <laughs> God, it's really it's rough, you guys. So you know, just just a little glimpse into our world. What's everyone else been doing? 
Um, how's, uh, how's things with you, Corey? I um, irresponsibly went to San Diego last weekend. Yeah. <laughs> right after grad school started when I probably should have been doing things. But it was super fun because San Diego's dope. And yeah. I saw Bonobo live, which was sick. Um, Are those those monkeys that have a lot of sex? Yes. That well, I mean, I didn't watch. I didn't watch monkeys have sex. <laughs> Natalie is like currently losing her shit. Was joking. <laughs> to clarify, I did not watch monkeys have sex this weekend. Oh, um, well, you have San Diego zoos down there, so I wasn't sure what. It's a world-renowned zoo. <laughs> it is. Um, it's a great zoo. I haven't been there yet. But, um, no, Bonobo is a dope <laughs> DJ. And it was Cross Festival in San Diego, like DJ Fest. So we went to an after party. It was really fun. And Bonobo was sick. And I met a really precious girl in the bathroom. And she was so sweet. And she was like, she was tripping. She like was talking to me and I was... I was just like talking to her back and stuff. She's like, I'm sorry, I'm tripping so hard right now. It's like, it's fine. And then we we're just like, and I was, you know, I was like high and drunk. And she was just like, she was like, you're so calm right now. <laughs> I was like, no problem. Like, it's like, I appreciate how calm you are. I was like, I got oh, you. That's some good vibes on Yeah. You. I, I you probably cool. really guided her through a lot of that day. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was like, no problem, girl. And she was probably like 21. So Aww. I was just like, it's fine. I understand. You're going to be fine. <laughs> You're the person I would want to run into if I was tripping oh, really hard. Yeah, Thank you. yeah. That I, is a very kind thing to say. It's true. I, really I mean do. that from the bottom of my yeah. heart. I feel yeah. like you would have such a calming presence. Like, I mean, I think we've all had our experiences with, like, being on some kind of, you know, mind-altering substance, and you get to that point where you're like, whoa! You're kind of grasping on to something like your seat or like the wall you know and you're like I just need getting to... a great visual yeah. Right now. Yeah. just like grabbing everything yeah just, just holding on for dear life and I, I feel like if I saw Corey I'd be like it's okay now Aww. <laughs> just grab on to Corey yeah <laughs> Well, thank you, guys. I saw uh, your post of um, girls in the bathroom. Yeah. What was it again? I posted something about, um, can't we all just treat each other the way drunk girls treat each other in nightclub bathrooms? Oh, my God. That is so real. It's so mm-hmm. real. Like, we're they're so sweet all the time. It's like, so true. <laughs> the sweetest people I, I've ever met yeah. nightclub bathrooms. Yeah. I've been in a number of nightclub bathrooms, and I've been <laughs> drunk, and I've had other drunk girls be like, oh my god, you're so pretty. <laughs> like, girl, your eyeliner is on point. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> your calves look great in those stilettos, or, you know, and, and, and it's just this, like, beautiful... To our listeners who have never been in a <laughs> nightclub bathroom with drunk females it's a very like lovely exchange that goes on it's really yeah, nice mm-hmm. yeah um it's a safe space for sure for real yeah jeez i, geez, I uh, love wow, it geez, wow jeez wow jeez <laughs> but um <clears throat> so this is our first episode in the halloween season yes october started so that means that means halloween Holy started shit. yes it's here. It's here. I always like um of all the podcasts that I listen to 
most of them do do like a Halloween episode, but they only ever do one. And I'm always like, oh, I wish there were more. We're going to do multiple. I saw, I think, a post on Tumblr that was like October 1st. The first day of Halloween. <laughs> That's so real. It is, though. Like, I mean, honestly, it's my favorite time of year. I want to carve, like, 20 pumpkins. <laughs> sure. I have, like, three Halloween do costumes. Remember, do you guys remember last year? I feel like that pumpkin carving party that was, was, like, the first time yeah, we all was... hung out and Aww. got to know each other. So, I really... Full circle. Full circle right now. We need to do that again, yeah. by the way. I wonder if the studio people so are Jenny, going to... So, Ginny, I think, was trying to initiate oh, that Oh, I forgot. I'll text. I'll text later. Girl. Side note. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we get real real into Halloween and yeah those this time last year we were just getting to know each other and then wow look at us a year later sticking wine bottles and pumpkins yeah oh, that was so oh cool. god that's because I got that pumpkin that was from Whole Foods yeah. and, and it was like very it was so oh it was like very like avant-garde it was, like three thick. It was super artisanal <laughs> yeah. it was like the most artisanal pumpkin that was I've not ever a seen that was, that, that was like a hybrid that was a gourd <laughs> a gourd it was rustic as oh fuck oh my god yeah I couldn't you got, I couldn't like, wasn't do it like it. white or something <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a know. very, a very light, like pastel orange. <laughs> right. I don't know what I was doing. I was like, I'm gonna like be fucking cool coming into this party. <laughs> so we're gonna carve pumpkins again. Look forward to seeing our amazing pumpkins on the Art History Babes Instagram page. Woo-hoo. Speaking of the Art, Art History Babes Instagram page. Uh, Jen just took this amazing photo of Nat. Oh my if god. If you are familiar with the meme about like art history majors, it's the like poodle wearing the um the yeah. turtleneck. It's a little poodle wearing a turtleneck and the what is it? The text is like um drinks wine. Like why does this poodle look like um she majors in art history and drinks like Merlot or something? <laughs> and yeah. that is literally <laughs> Natalie and she's wearing a black turtleneck today and she's drinking wine and um, I'm about to talk about art history and it's <laughs> kind of god she's just so cute she's yeah. our little our little art history poodle Ooh. oh another thing let's give a, a little oh, shout yeah. out to our our good friend <laughs> our, our <laughs> best friend <laughs> Um, our friend, um, Salad Days Pins. Corey got us the cutest pins in the world. Corey is an amazing babe, and we love her to death, and she got us these dope pins, and they're little Venus of Willendorfs, and we're all wearing them. We're gonna Mm -hmm. take a picture later. Yeah. And they look great, by the way. Really well done. Yeah. Her tits are, like, on point. Yeah. Her tits have never looked better. The shadows in these are just, like... Perfect. The detail. Yeah. Salad Days pins. You did a great job. Check out Salad Days pins on Instagram, on Twitter, Salad Days pins, <laughs> Etsy shop. Um, get you some pins. <laughs> pins are in. Pins they are really in. Pins right are now. so dope. I love pins. I want every pin. Give me all the pins. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, she also does a really cool, like, Nefertiti one. Mm-hmm. Oh, I want that one next. <laughs> what was the thing that you saw? The hashtag? Oh, oh. um, the the um, little tagline on her store is super clever, because all of her pins are, like, they're art history based, or they're, like, literature based, and the tagline on her Etsy store is, for those who did the reading. Yes! Yes, girl. <laughs> I have said that exact line so many times, and I We really do the reading! <laughs> you can't get to grad school without doing the readings. We don't, we, we do all the boring, most, long readings. Most of the readings. The, the yeah. 
57 page long reading on garments. Greek <laughs> <laughs> garments. Oh boy. Well, I've been up to my neck in ancient Greek sculpture today. I've learned so yeah, much about Korai. <laughs> I read an amazing article yesterday. <clears throat> Actually, I read one article by Martin Bernal. And then I re- my next article was people just, these two um, historians just ripping him to shreds in like the most blatant like aggressive way that I've ever seen and you guys have to read it like yeah. I literally wrote wow. oh damn in my <laughs> article like six times or just like exclamation points like fuck like yeah. I get really excited when art historians and um like tear each other down because they do it all the time but they it's like, do. Yeah, like they subtle do. and there's like these digs yeah. no this is not it's not passive it's like, not passive it's, it's ripping him a new one my opponent like, is a liar even the professor even the my professor opponent. I won't say names but she was like I love this article because it's the greatest like example of just letting loose yeah wow yeah, the art history world can get fierce y'all you know it's and, pretty intense yeah it's it can get real nasty. It's like, like it was like a rap battle. That's how I envisioned it. Even like, even like among <laughs> our historical rap battle. Wow. I feel like sometimes there's little like little just tiny little tiny knives. Yeah. Like, just little a, ones. Imagine like the smallest <laughs> little knife, like a like, like a, a needle, like a dollhouse knife. <laughs> sure. Like the sure. knife that a Barbie uses to slice yeah. the Thanksgiving turkey. Yes. <laughs> that I have an image of it. Right. So perfectly. Right. So that size knife, and mm-hmm. now imagine those little knives just stabbing into people. That is how <laughs> over academia. Over that is how over. academia is. It is. It's just like yeah. little knives all the time. <laughs> there was a, a professor in our department made a comment one time. She was like, you know, I just think that it's so great how all the girls in this program just really get along and help each other. It wasn't like that when I was in grad school, and I was like. Like, whoa. And we're all so nice and like love each other. And I just like can't imagine. (laughs) Well, I feel like we came into this program and we had a choice. Either like let's be super competitive or like let's be friends and help each other. Like such a better call. Yeah, exactly. So much better. You know, thankfully the way that things worked out too, we're all very like varied in our research yeah, interests yeah. and I think that because of that we're not stepping on each other's toes mm-hmm. and um so that's very fortunate but you know why can't we just all get along I mean that's <laughs> for real it's so weird I, you know it makes me feel sad about the state of academia everyone's just trying to like slay each other's throats all the time but with we're, little tiny knives <clears throat> but we're not we yeah. put away our tiny knives so maybe things are a changing exactly times wow. they are a changing uh. <laughs> I think we're moving in a good direction. I put um, my little knife down. <laughs> if you're out there, sheath that knife. <laughs> put your little knife down. Come on, like it's just—it's good karma. Just yeah, exactly. All right, okay. all right. So, <laughs> so let's move on. Let's get spooky. Ooh. Um. So for our first of two episodes, mm. Halloween related episodes. Halloween. We're gonna we're gonna read you guys a story. We're gonna do something a little different. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's different. <laughs> um, I'm different. I'm different. <laughs> yeah, so we kind of had this idea to 
read aloud a short ghost story. And all of us, I think, have, like, enjoyed ghost stories over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember getting my first collection of ghost stories when I was, oh, probably, like, seven or eight. And I was obsessed with it, and I just read it all the time before I'd go to bed. Mm -hmm. And then I'd get scared and not be able to fall asleep. I'd be like, don't do that again tomorrow, Ginny. (laughs) And then I would. I'd read more. And, you know, it was just a cycle. But it was great. I loved it. And so I have a compilation. It's a collection of ghost stories put together by Audrey Neffinger. And um, there's one story in particular that really blends a lot of our loves. So it's about art and it's a spooky story. So this story that we're going to read is called The Mezzotint. And it's by M.R. James or Montague Rhodes James. Oh, um, that is a name. I know. Isn't that a great name? A great um, he's name. British, by the way, if you could tell. He, he is aggressively British. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's... Yeah. So, um, just to right, kind of yeah, give you peace, bro. a time, time sense of him. He was born in 1862 and died in 1936. And he was actually, um, so he was an author, obviously, but he was also a medievalist scholar. Ooh. And worked at Cambridge. So wow, he, he was, was the provost. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <damn>. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Provost of King's College. Ooh. Because they have all those individual columns. Yeah. They're just, you know, I, it gets so confused. They're, they're so, so British, dude. <laughs> so British. And all those universities over there are so old. I'm like, wow. They're like thousands of years crazy. Old. I just want to like walk through them just because. Yeah. I've walked like, through Oxford. Wow. Oh, which is really cool. That is wow. Cool. That's so cool. So, without further ado, we shall begin the mezzotint. Cool. I'm going to put my glasses on. Oh. Cute. Things are getting real. It's it's getting real spooky and academic in here right now. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> the Mezzotint by M.R. James. Some time ago, I believe I had the pleasure of telling you the story of an adventure which happened to a friend of mine by the name of Deniston during his pursuit of objects of art for the museum at Cambridge. He did not publish his experiences very widely upon his return to England but they could not fail to become known to a good many of his friends, and among others, to the gentleman who at the time presided over the art museum at another university. It was to be expected that the story should make a considerable impression on the mind of a man whose vocation lay in lines similar to Deniston's, and that he should be eager to catch at any explanation of the matter which tended to make it seem improbable that he should ever be called upon to deal with so agitating an emergency. It was indeed somewhat consoling to him to reflect that he was not expected to acquire ancient MSS for his institution. That was the business of the Shelburneian Library. The authorities of that might, if they pleased, ransack obscure corners of the continent for such matters. He was glad to be obliged at the moment to confine his attention to enlarging the already unsurpassed collection of English topographical drawings and engravings possessed by his museum. Yet as it turned out, even as a department so homely and familiar as this may have its dark corners. And to one of these, Mr. Williams was unexpectedly introduced. 
<laughs> Those who have taken even the most limited interest in the acquisition of topographical pictures are aware that there is one London dealer whose aid is indispensable to their researches. Mr. J. W. Britnell publishes at short intervals very admirable catalogs of a large and constantly changing stock of engravings, plans, and old sketches of mansions, churches, and towns in England and Wales. These catalogues were, of course, the ABC of his subject to Mr. Williams. But as his museum already contained an enormous accumulation of topographical pictures, he was a regular rather than a copious buyer, and he rather looked to Mr. Britnell to fill up gaps in the rank and file of his collection than to supply him with rarities. Now in February of last year, there appeared upon Mr. Williams' desk at the museum a catalog from Mr. Britnell's emporium, and accompanying it, was the typewritten communication from the dealer himself. This latter ran as follows. Dear sir, we beg to call your attention to number 978 in our accompanying catalog, which we shall be glad to send on approval. Yours faithfully, J.W. Britnell. Oh my God, so British. <laughs> now to turn to number 978 in the accompanying catalog was with Mr. Williams, as he observed to himself, the work of a moment, and in the place indicated, he found the following entry. 978. Unknown. Interesting mezzotint. View of a manor house, early part of the century. 15 by 10 inches, black frame, 22 pounds. Pounds. British. Okay. Okay. I got like, like money. <laughs> Wait, you know what? We should tell them what a mezzotint is, right? A print. Made from an engraved copper steel plate on which the surface has been partially roughened for shading and partially scraped smooth, giving light areas. Now you know. Footnotes by Jen. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. Um, <laughs> sorry. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. It was not specially exciting, and the price seemed high. However, as Mr. Britnell, who knew his business and his customer, seemed to set store by it, Mr. Williams wrote a postcard asking for the article to be sent on approval, along with some other engravings and sketches which appeared in the same catalog. And so he passed without much excitement of anticipation to the ordinary labors of the day. A parcel of any kind always arrives a day later than you expect it. And that of Mr. Britnell proved, as I believe the right phrase goes, no exception to the rule. It was delivered at the museum by the afternoon post of Saturday, after Mr. Williams had left his work, and it was accordingly brought round to his rooms in college by the attendant, in order that he might not have to wait over Sunday before looking through it and returning such of the contents as he did not propose to keep. And here he found it when he came in to tea with a friend. 
The only item with which I am concerned was the rather large, black-framed mezzotint, of which I have already quoted the short description given in Mr. Britnell's catalogue. Some more details of it will have to be given, though I cannot hope to put before you the look of the picture as clearly as it is, as it is present to my own eye. Very nearly the exact duplicate of it may be seen in a good many old inn parlors, or in the passages of undisturbed country mansions at the present moment. It was a rather indifferent mezzotint, and indifferent mezzotint is perhaps the worst form of engraving known. <laughs> it presented a full-faced view of a not very large manor house of the last century with three rows of plain slashed windows with rusticated masonry about them, a parapet with balls or vases at the angles, and a small portico in the center. On either side were trees, and in front, a considerable expanse of lawn. The legend A.W.F. Sculpsit was engraved on the narrow margin, and there was no further inscription. The whole thing gave the impression that it was the work of an amateur. What in the world Mr. Britnell could mean by affixing the price of 22 pounds to such an object was more than Mr. Williams could imagine. He turned it over with a good deal of contempt. Upon the back was a paper label, the left-hand half of which had been torn off. All that remained were the ends of two lines writing. The first had the letters N-G-L-E-Y Hall, the second S-S-E-X. It would perhaps be just worthwhile to identify the place represented, which he could easily do with the help of a gazetteer, and then he would send it back to Mr. Britnell with some remarks reflecting upon the judgment of that gentleman. He lighted the candles, for now it was dark, made the tea, and supplied the friend with whom he had been playing golf, for I believe the authorities of the university I write of indulge in that pursuit by way of relaxation. And tea was taken to the accompaniment of a discussion which golfing persons can imagine for themselves, but which the cons consci conscientious, conscientious <laughs> writer has no right to inflict upon any non-golfing persons. The conclusion arrived at was that certain strokes might have been better, and that in certain emergencies, neither player had experienced that amount of luck which a human being has a right to expect. It was now that the friend, let us call him Professor Binks, took up the framed engraving and said, What's this place, Williams? Oh, it's just what I'm going to try and figure out, said Williams, going to the shelf for a gazetteer. What's a gazetteer? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the back. Something Lee Hall, either in Sussex or Essex. Half the name's gone, you see. You don't happen to know it, I suppose. It's from that man Britnell, I suppose, isn't it? Said Binks. Is it from the museum? Well, I think I should buy it if the price was five shillings, said Williams. But for some unearthly reason, he wants two guineas for it. I can't conceive why. It's a wretched engraving, and there aren't even any figures to give it life. It's not worth two guineas, I should think, said Binks. But I don't think it's so badly done. The moonlight seems rather good to me, and I should have thought there were figures, or at least a figure, just on the edge in front. Let's look, said Williams. Well, it's true the light is rather clearly given, cleverly given. Where's your figure? Oh, yes, just the head in the very front of the picture. And indeed there was, hardly more than a black blot on the extreme edge of the engraving, 
the head of a man or a woman, a good deal muffled up, the back turned to the spectator and looking towards the house. Williams had not noticed it before. Still, he said, though it's a cleverer thing than I thought, I can't spend two guineas of museum money on a picture of a place I don't know. Professor Binks had his work to do, and soon went, and very nearly up to hall time, Williams was engaged in a vain attempt to identify the subject of his picture. If the vowel before the NG had only been left, it would have been easy enough, he thought. But as it is, the name may be anything from Guestingly to Langley, and there are many more names ending like this than I thought. And this rotten book has no index of terminations. Hall in Mr. Williams's college was at seven. It need not be dwelt upon. The less so <laughs> as he met were their colleagues who had been playing golf during the afternoon. And words with which we have no concern were freely bandied across the table. Merely golfing words, I would hasten to explain. I suppose an hour or more to have been spent in what is called common room after dinner. Later in the evening, some few retired to Williams's rooms, and I have little doubt that whilst was played and tobacco smoked. I don't know what whist, 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 whist was played. Whist, um, it's something British. British. <laughs> Check it out. I don't know what that is. Google it. <laughs> During a lull in these operations, Williams picked up the mezzotint from the table without looking at it and handed it to a person mildly interested in art, telling him where it had come from and the other particulars which we already know. The gentleman took it carelessly, looked at it, then said in a tone of some interest, It's really a very good piece of work, Williams. It has quite a feeling of the romantic period. The light is admirably managed it seems to me, and the figure, though it's rather too grotesque, is somehow very impressive. Yes, isn't it? said Williams, who was just then busy giving whiskey and soda to others of the company, my man, <laughs> and was unable to come across the room to look at the view again. It was by this time rather late in the evening, and the visitors were on the move. After they went, Williams obliged to write a letter or two and clear up some odd bits of work, at last, sometime past midnight, he was disposed to turn in, and he put out his lamp after lighting his bedroom candle. The picture lay face upwards on the table where the last man who looked at it had put it, and it caught his eye as he turned the lamp down. What he saw made him very nearly drop the candle to the floor, and he declares now that if he had been left in the dark at that moment, he would have had a fit. But as that did not happen, he was able to put down the light on the table and take a good look at the picture. It was undubitable, <laughs> rankly impossible, no doubt, but absolutely certain. In the middle of the lawn in front of the unknown house, there was a figure where no figure had been at five o'clock that afternoon. It was crawling on all fours towards the house, and it was muffled in a strange black garment with a white cross on the back. No! No! That shit reminds me of the ring. Oh! Yes. I am not down. I do not know what is the ideal course to pursue in a situation of this kind. I can only tell you what Mr. Williams did. 
He took the picture by one corner and carried it across the passage to a second set of rooms which he possessed. There he locked it up in a drawer, sported the doors of both sets of rooms, and retired to bed. But first he wrote out and signed an account of the extraordinary change which the picture had undergone since it had come into his possession. Sleep visited him rather late. Understandably. (laughs) But it was consoling to reflect that the behavior of the picture did not depend upon his own unsupported testimony. Evidently, the man who had looked at it the night before had seen something of the same kind as he had. Otherwise, he might have been tempted to think that something gravely wrong was happening either to his eyes or to his mind. This possibility being fortunately precluded, two matters awaited him on the morrow. He must take stock of the picture very carefully and call in a witness for the purpose, and he must make a determined effort to ascertain what house it was that was represented. He would therefore ask his neighbor, Nisbet, to breakfast (laughs) with him. And he would subsequently spend a morning over the gazetteer, Nisbet. (laughs) That reminds me of Toy Story. Oh my god. Yeah, this is Nisbet. Nisbet was disengaged and arrived about 9.30. His host was not quite dressed. I am sorry to say, even at this late hour. 9.30 though? (laughs) still in bed oh the british (laughs) during breakfast nothing was said about the mezzotint by williams save that he had a picture on which he wished for nisbet's opinion but those who are familiar with university life can picture for themselves the wide and delightful range of subjects over which the conversation of two fellows of canterbury college is likely to extend during a sunday morning breakfast Hardly a topic was left unchallenged, from golf to lawn tennis. Oh, so interesting. (laughs) That's a wide range of topics. (laughs) Yet I am bound to say that Williams was rather distraught, for his interest naturally centered in that very strange picture which was now reposing, face downwards in the drawer in the room opposite. The morning pipe was at last lighted, and the moment had arrived for which he looked. With very considerable, almost tremulous, excitement, he ran across, unlocked the drawer, and extracted the picture, still face downwards, ran back, and put it into Nisbet's hands. Now, he said, Nisbet, I want to tell you exactly what you see, I want you to tell me exactly what you see in that picture. Describe it, if you don't mind, rather minutely, minutely, I want to say minutely, I'll tell you why afterwards. Well, said Nisbet, I have here a view of a country house, English, I presume, by moonlight. Moonlight? You're sure of that? Certainly. The moon appears to be on the wane, if you wish for the details, and there are clouds in the sky. All right, go on, I'll swear, added Williams in the side. There was no moon when I first saw it. Well, there's not much more to be said, said Nisbet continued. The house has one, two, three rows of windows, five in each row, except at the bottom, where there's a porch instead of a middle one, and... But what about figures? said Williams, with marked interest. There aren't any, said Nisbet. But... What? No figures in the grass in front? Not a thing. You'll swear to that. Certainly I will, but there's just one other thing. What? Why, one of the windows on the ground floor, left of the door, is open. 
Is it really? My goodness, he must have got in, said Williams with great excitement, and he hurried to the back of the sofa on which Nisbet was sitting, and, catching the picture from him, verified the matter for himself. It was quite true. There was no figure, and there was the open window. Williams, after a moment of speechless surprise, went to the writing table and scribbled for a short time. Then he brought two papers to Nisbet and asked him first to sign one. It was his own description of the picture, which you have just heard, and then to read the other one, which was William's statement written the night before. What can it all mean, said Nisbet. Exactly, said Williams. Well, one thing I must do, or three things, now I think of it. I must find out from Garwood, this was his last night's visitor, what he saw, and then I must get the thing photographed before it goes further, and then I must find out what the place is. I can do the photographing myself, said Nisbet, and I will. But you know, it looks very much as if we were assisting, assisting at the working out of a tragedy somewhere. The question is, has it happened already, or is it going to come off? You must find out what the place is. Yes, he said, looking at the picture again. I expect you're right, he has got in. And if I don't mistake, there'll be a, the devil to pay for this one in the room upstairs. I'll tell you what, said Williams. I'll take the picture across to Old Green. This was the senior fellow of the college who had been bursar for many years. It's quite likely he'll know it. We have property in Essex and Sussex, and he must have been over the two countries a lot in his time. Quite likely he will, said Nisbet, but just let me take my photograph first. But look here, I rather think Green isn't up today. He wasn't in hall last night, and I think I heard him say he was going down for, for the Sunday. That's true, too, said Williams. I know he's gone to Brighton. Well, if you'll photograph it now, I'll go across to Garwood and get his statement, and you can keep an eye on it while I'm gone. I'm beginning to think two guineas is not a very exorbitant price for it now. In a short time, he had returned and brought Mr. Garwood with him. Garwood's statement was to the effect that the figure, when he had seen it, was clear of the edge of the picture, but had not got across the lawn. He remembered a white mark on the back of its drapery, but could not have been sure it was a cross. Hmm. A document to this effect was then drawn up and signed, and Nisbet proceeded to photograph the picture. Oh, Nisbet. Oh, Nisbet. Nisbet! Nisbet the photographer. <laughs> now, what do you mean to do, he asked. He said, are you going to sit and watch it all day? Well, no, I think not, said Williams. I rather imagine we're meant to see the whole thing. You see, between the time I saw it last night and this morning, there was time for lots of things to happen. But the creature only got into the house. It could easily have gone through its business in the time and gone to its own place again. The fact of the window being open, I think, must mean that it's in there now. So I feel quite easy about leaving it. And besides, I have a kind of idea that it wouldn't change much, if at all, in the daytime. We might go out for a walk this afternoon and come in to tea, or whenever it gets dark. I shall leave it out on the table here and sport the door. My skip can get in, but no one else. The three agreed that this would be a good plan, and further, that if they spent the afternoon together, they would be less likely to talk about the business about the business to other people. For any rumor or such transaction was, as was going on, would bring the whole whole of the phasmatological society oh. <laughs> about their ears. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Sounds, yeah. Phasma. Oh, like phantasm. Yeah. Phantasm. Phasma. No, it's phantasm. Yeah, it's phasmatological. 
Yeah, so like the, you know, the British no were all about like ghost hunting and stuff. That started back in like Victorian times with like oh, seances. And... Like some ghost adventurers. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, dude, the Brits are all about those old timey ghosts. All those proper <laughs> gentlemen ghosts. Dude, old time not sound like a proper ghost. No, it sounds like a Ringu ghost. <laughs> dude, yeah. though, old timey ghosts are the scariest of the ghosts. Oh. Like old timey, like little boy ghosts. Oh, I like the that? most terrifying Horrible. ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, keep oh, little children. Yes. I want a full-grown adult ghost. <laughs> yes, children ghosts. I do not. Apply. My ghost better not look like a doozy. Is all I have to Ooh. say. Have you guys heard that Aziz Ansari? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Oh no. It's it's a great bit. You guys should look it up. Okay, now, I would I would react the same way his girlfriend would react in that situation. I would kill that little ghost. <laughs> yeah. I would murder that ghost. <laughs> That's one of my favorite sketches ever. This okay. is so scary, you guys. I'm so, so scary. <laughs> it's very um. It's very Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so the phasmatological society about their ears. Mm. We may give them a respite until five o'clock. At or near the hour, the three were entering William's staircase. They were at first slightly annoyed to see that the door of his rooms was unsported, but in a moment it was remembered that on Sunday the skips came for orders an hour or so earlier than on weekdays. However, a surprise was awaiting them. The first thing they saw was the picture leaning up against a pile of books on the table, as it had been left, and the next thing was William's skip, seated on the chair opposite, gazing at it with undisguised horror. Mm. How was this? Mr. Filcher, the name is not my own invention, was a servant of considerable standing and set the standard of etiquette to all his own college and to several neighboring ones, and nothing could be more alien to his practice than to be found sitting on his master's chair or appearing to take any particular notice of his master's furniture or pictures. Indeed, he seemed to feel this himself. He started violently when the three men came into the room and got up with marked effort. Then he said, I ask your pardon, sir, for taking such a freedom as to sit down. Oh, my God. <laughs> Are you scared? I'm scared. All the, all the talk of golf. <laughs> Dude, golf is so scary. <laughs> like, but if golf. someone ever calls me in the morning and is like, yo, let's go golf. I'm like, no! <laughs> this is my nightmare! <laughs> oh, Not at all, Robert, interposed Mr. Williams. I was meaning to ask you some time what you thought of that picture. Well, sir, of course I don't set up my opinion again yours, but it ain't the picture I sh- shoulding, should shoulding, 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 should apostrophe ang. Where my little girl could see it, sir. Wouldn't you, Robert? Why not? No, sir. Why, the poor child, I recollect once she see a door Bible with pictures not af what that is, and we had to set up with her three or four nights afterwards, if you'll believe me, and if she was to catch a sight of this skeleton here, and skeleton is spelled S-K-E-L-I-N-T-O-N. Yes. <laughs> As it should be. <laughs> I love the British. 19th century British. And if she was to catch a sight of the skeleton here, or whatever it is, carry off the poor baby, she would be in a taking. You know how it is with children. 
how nervous how nervous they get with a little <laughs> nervous. Yes, their nerves they get shot. Oh man, nervous. How nervous they get with a little thing and all. But what I should say, it don't seem a right picture to be laying about, sir. Not where anyone that's liable to be startled could come on it. Should you be wanting anything this evening, sir? Thank you, sir. With these words, the excellent man went to continue the round of his masters. And you may be sure the gentleman who he left lost no time in gathering around the engraving. There was the house, as before, under the waning moon and the drifting clouds. The window that had been open was shut, and the figure was once more on the lawn. But not this time, crawling cautiously on hands and knees. Now it was erect and stepping swiftly with long strides towards the front of the picture. The moon was behind it, and the black... Matt's shaking her head. She's like, no! No! Get down. What are you doing? You get down on your knees. I like it. The moon was behind it, and the black drapery hung down over its face, so that, so, so that only hints of that could be seen. And what was visible made the spectators profoundly thankful that they could see no more than a white dome-like forehead and a few straggling hairs. A white dome! <laughs> oh! White dome. Oh! The head was bent down and the arms no! were... <laughs> <laughs> the head was bent down and the arms were tightly clasped over an object which could be dimly seen and identified as a child. (laughs) Whether dead or living, it was not possible to say. Oh Oh my god, no. (laughs) Stop it! (laughs) The... The legs of the appearance alone could be plainly discerned, and they were horribly thin. Oh! <laughs> Skinny legs! They were some Jay-Z legs. No! No! They're so scary! His legs were the worst thing I've ever seen. I'm sorry, Jay-Z. I loved Big Pippin. Oh, man. From five to seven, the three companions sat and watched the picture by turns, but it never changed. They agreed at last that it would be safe to leave it, and that they would return after Hall and await further developments. When they assembled again at the earliest possible moment, the engraving was there. But the figure was gone, and the house was quiet under the moonbeams. There was nothing for it but to spend the evening over gazetteers and guidebooks. Williams was the lucky one at last, and perhaps he deserved it. At 11.30 p.m., he read from Murray's Guide to Essex the following lines. Sixteen and a half miles, Anningley. The church has been an interesting building of Norman date, but was extensively classicized in the last century. It contains the tombs of the family of Francis, whose mansion, Anningley Hall, a solid Queen Anne house, stands immediately beyond the churchyard in a park of about 80 acres. The family is now extinct, the last heir having disappeared mysteriously in infancy in the year 1802. They're extinct. 1802 is such a scary year. (laughs) Under mysterious circumstances. Wait, so it's the The last member was an infant and he disappeared? Yeah. Who was raising him? They just lost a baby. (laughs) They were like, oops. The creature in the print. 
Okay, Let's sorry. find out. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Not <that>. <laughs> the father, Mr. Arthur Francis. Oh, was it was him. <laughs> <laughs> the father, Mr. Arthur Francis, was locally known as a talented amateur engraver in mezzotint. Oh. <gasps> after his son's disappearance, after. <laughs> After his son's disappearance... It's okay, I would have believed that that was a British way of smelling it. (laughs) Disappearance! (laughs) After his son's disappearance... (laughs) Went straight, like, Scottish there. I'm not good at accents either. Um, I can do British. And I'm not going to do it right now. (laughs) Let's not. Okay, alright. After his son's disappearance, he lived in complete retirement at the hall and was found dead in his studio on the third anniversary of the disaster, having just completed an engraving of the house, impressions of which are of considerable rarity. This looked like business, and indeed, Mr. Green, on his return at once, identified the house as Anningley Hall. Is there any kind of explanation of the figure, Green? Was the question which Williams naturally asked. I don't know, I'm sure, Williams. What used to be said in the place when I first knew it, which was before I came up here, was just this. Old Francis was always very much down on these poaching fellows. And whenever he got a chance, he used to get a man whom he suspected of it turned off the estate. And by degrees, he got rid of them all but one. Squires could do a lot of things then that they daren't think of now. Well, this man that was left was what you find pretty often in that country. The last remains of a very old family. I believe they were lords of the manor at one time. I recollect just the same thing in my own parish. What, like the man in Tessa de Uberville? Let me see. What is this? I think it's French. Tessa de Uberville. De Ubervilles. De Ubervilles. De Ubervilles. Williams put in. Yes, I dare, I dare say. It's not a book I could ever read myself, but this fellow could show a row of tombs in the church there that belonged to his ancestors, and all that went to sour him a bit. But Francis, they said, could never get at him. He always kept just on the right side of the law, until one night the keepers found him at it in a wood right at the end of the estate. I could show you the place now. It marches with some land that used to belong to an uncle of mine. And you can can imagine there was a row, and this man gaudy. That was the name, to be sure. Gaudy. I thought I should get it. Gaudy. G-A-W-D-Y. Gaudy. Mm -hmm. He was unlucky enough, poor chap, to shoot a keeper. Well, that was what Francis wanted. And grand juries, you know what they would have been then. And poor Gaudy was strung up in double quick time. Hmm. And I've been shown the place he was buried in, on the north side of the church. You know the way and the part of the world. Anyone that's been hanged or made away with themselves... They bury them that side. And the idea was that some friend of Gaudy's, not a relation because he had none, poor devil. He was the last of his line. Kind of spes ultima gentis must have planned to get hold of Francis's boy and put an end to his line too. I don't know. It's rather an out of the way thing for an Essex poacher to think of. But you know, I should say now it looks more as if old Gaudy had managed the job himself. Boo, I hate to think of it. Have some whiskey, Williams. The facts were communicated by Williams to Dennis Deniston? And Dennison? De- Dennis Town. Oh. oh yeah. 
Denison. <laughs> just makes me think of sporty. Denison? Denison. Oh, man. <laughs> Score more points. Denison. Come on, Denison. Um, the facts were communicated by Williams to Denistown and by him to a mixed company, of which I was one. And the Sadducean professor of Ophiology, another. I'm sorry to say that the latter, when asked what he thought of it, only remarked, Oh, those Bridgeford people will say anything. A sentiment which met with the reception it deserved. I have only to add that the picture is now in the Ashleyan Museum that has been treated with a view to discovering whether sympathetic ink has been used in it, but without effect. That Mr. Britnell knew nothing of it save that he was sure it was uncommon. And that, though carefully watched, it has never been known to change again. Ooh. Wow. Some spooky shit. Wow. You know, wow. <laughs> <laughs> the mesotent. There's a scary story for you. Yeah. This Halloween season. Scary in Britain. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, England. We do. Mm-hmm. You gave us the Beatles. You gave us the mezzotint. <laughs> what more could we want? Uh, um, but you should really give the Elgin marbles back. I just want to put that out there. They haven't. You should give those back. Just taking their sweet time. Just gonna put that out there. But um, so listener mail. What yeah. do you got? So we had gotten um, a question on Tumblr about. All of these depictions from medieval art and illuminated manuscripts of knights fighting snails, like very large <laughs> snails. And uh, they had asked if we knew anything about it, and collectively we do not. So we had mentioned this on one of our episodes and kind of put it out there to our listeners if anyone knew of it. And so Jose wrote to us about it, and um, he says, Hello, AH babes. First, let me say thanks for the podcast on Bob Ross. In my opinion, praise is often given to the moody, cynical artist, and artists like Bob Mm. Ross are overlooked by the art world since they don't fit into their elite institution. Holla! That is so sweet. Oh, wow. That was spooky. Someone just peeled (laughs) out on the street. So hopefully there wasn't just an accident outside of Ginny's Stop it! Or a ghost. I was going to say, or it was was a ghost. Oh, Jesus. That was (laughs) a ghost who appreciates Bob Ross. Oh, it was a banshee! Oh gosh. Oh, God. Uh, so kudos for the podcast. It was awesome. Oh. So glad you liked it. Oh, man. Um, what a sweet guy. But I write to respond to the medieval knight versus the snail conundrum. I have a couple books by Phidon on illuminated manuscripts and thinking that they would prove provide me with the answer, I was disappointed to find no mention of it. However, I did find this from the Smithsonian website. Lisa Spangenberg, a medievalist, writes... The armored snail fighting the armored knight is a reminder of the inevitability of death. A sentiment captured in Psalm 58 of the Bible. Like a snail that melteth away into slime, they shall be eaten away like a dead-born child. They shall not see the sun. Interesting take. But for all we know, it could just be a joke. That was a badass quote. (laughs) Cool miniatures nonetheless. Cheers, Jose. Jose, you're the best. Jose, thank you. That is so cool. I want to get a snail tattoo now with, like, that quote on it. Yeah. (laughs) And it's a perfect transition for our next episode, uh, which is on Memento Mori. Oh! Yes. Halloween special part two. Halloween special part two. Part two. We're going to be talking about Memento Mori, creepy 
death is inevitable type shit. Yes. It's going to be good. Mm -hmm. Um, So we hope you enjoyed the spooky story to get you in the mood for the Halloween season. And stay tuned for more spooky stuff from your spooky babes of our history. Yeah, baby. Bye. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.